Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Walking Your Talk podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Arthur, aka Brooklyn IDOC. Today, uh, most of you had, some of you have been asking uh, a few questions about the last episode that I posted uh, with Hudson Ray uh, about his journey visiting and studying in Ghana. Uh, a lot of the questions have also been directed at trying to fully understand uh, the idea or the understanding behind uh, why his mom chose to uh, uh, send him to Ghana for that part of his education. Uh, and there's no better person to ask than the, the mom herself. Uh, and so today uh, you would be listening to the person I call mom <laughs> answer some questions uh, about that and also some important questions about uh, her life story living in America in very important uh, stages of uh, this country's growth. So you don't want to miss any of it. Um, again, this is the Walking Your Talk podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Today I am talking with Bishop Dr. Juanita Jolly Beaufort. Um, Bishop Beaufort was born in Brooklyn, New York, the eldest of three daughters. She is the mother of five children. She's married to Bishop E. Charles Beaufort, an urban missionary, CEO of the Bates Sankofa Ministries and pastor of New Mercies Ministries. Dr. Jolly Beaufort is the founder and presiding bishop of Bates Sankofa Ministries International with ministry affiliates in Liberia, South Africa, and Ghana. Bishop Beaufort has traveled extensively to Sierra Leone, Liberia, Ghana, the Republic of South Africa, and Nigeria. An educator, Dr. Jolly Beaufort has served as an adjunct faculty at Eastern University, Kampol College of Graduate and Professional Studies, and continues to serve as academic advisor at Friends International Christian University. Dr. Jolly Beaufort has written a series of faith chats what are you wearing? Are you properly dressed? Unity, a greater anointing. A thesis on ex-offender re-entry, ex-offender re-entry program, Project Renaissance, and recently, Leading from the Prayer Closet, an essay on discipleship of seven leaders. Her weekly faith chat program broadcasts weekly on Impact Communications Network and Doors to Your Heart Ministries. Dr. Beaufort currently leads the Jolly Consultancy, a research and consulting company, and Zenith Global Development Company, whose mission is to build economic and workforce development capacity in underserved communities. Bishop Beaufort says her greatest privilege is to be a servant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the wife of Bishop Charles Beaufort, and godly, proud mother to six children and six grandchildren. Welcome, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, Dr. Benjamin. Thank you. Walking uh, your your, uh, your bio uh, just kind of extensively uh, captures what how how busy you have been <laughs> and how busy you continue to be. <laughs> so you're a very busy woman. <laughs> busy is good, Benjamin. <laughs> It gives it gives a strong signal that signal that you're still alive. Hallelujah. 
Uh, I just wanted to uh, use this opportunity to personally, uh, you know, thank you also for being a, a, an important and formative, um, so an important part of the the formative uh, parts of my my experience here. Not only, but even before that. I mean, knowing I I I, I, I met you uh, before I actually moved here um, and in Achimota School when you came to visit. Uh, at Tinre, and uh, you've just been, uh, we've maintained contact, we maintain contact uh, since then, and you've just been in, an incredible presence, and I want to personally thank you for that. Oh, I, I, I am the one who has to thank you. Um, <laughs> I have to laugh, Benjamin, because w whenever I was coming to, going over to Achimota, uh, over to Akha, to visit, Atarachlan would say that he was the member of Scripture Union, and he wanted me to speak to the students. Mm -hmm. And I would always tell him yes. But of course, when I come, I'm the only mom from America there mm -hmm. and hundreds of students. And so I might see a face, uh, but not remember the face. So when I came back and we were in communication by the internet, mm -hmm. I kept saying to myself, who is this guy? <laughs> 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 I can put a face to the name mm -hmm. and then, the time that you said that you were coming to the United States to school and you know you needed a place to stay, I said, "Well, we're going to say yes," <laughs> and, and I did. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, uh, I I was I was on Facebook yesterday and I was well, somebody had posted um, uh, a, 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 a status and they were kind of uh, remembering days past when we would send letters and uh, the way that we would write it. And uh, in Ghana, a lot of students would write, the brightness of the day has made me, has given me the pleasure of writing this letter. And that was kind of like how people would start these letters. And that took me back for a moment and, and, and thinking about how um, how we used to, to write some of these letters and how we used to compose some of these emails and things like that. Um, yeah. That took me back uh, for a second. So that was, that was interesting to kind of have that moment of reflection. Um, so um, I'm continuing a conversation, and, and, and for, 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 for you listeners, this, this is a, a series of a series I've titled Nyansapo, which uh, basically is an opportunity for me to dialogue with people that I value and respect and have uh, a lot of love for um, in my life that I want to help me on this journey as I unlock the proverbial or untie the proverbial wisdom knot. Uh, and I have the, the singular honor of having uh, Dr. Uh, Jolly Oford on this. Um, so I want to thank you once again for, for joining uh, for joining us, uh, for joining me to have this conversation. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll get right to it. Um, before we talk about why you decided to send, <laughs> to ship Atinu to Hachimoto School, there's, a, there's a, few, a few things that I, I've always been curious. You grew up at a time when America was a very interesting uh, society and still is in a lot of ways. Uh, what, do you re what did it feel like growing up as a young black person in, in, in an American society? What was that like for you? It's a, it's a, it's a complicated question, <laughs> Benjamin, because, no, because uh, the way we were brought up, uh, the way that we were brought up, we were shielded mm -hmm. from the larger society to a point. Okay. We saw, we saw, you know, I remember coming home, uh, my parents sent us to a Roman Catholic elementary school after having uh, ha has had us attend a public school. Mm. <clears throat> and I would come home and I would say, Mom, why did Sister Mary Canisius give all the light-skinned and white children, girls, white dolls, 
and gives the rest of us black dolls that look like pickaninnies with, you know, uh, uh, yarn for their hair and pink yarn around. I, I, I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. Mom got it, but mm -hmm. she handled it aside from us. So we felt the sting of the difference, mm -hmm. but we didn't understand quite what was going on. We were in uh, what I would say now is a segregated community. Mm -hmm. We didn't know, I mean, there were, my neighbor was white, mm -hmm. um, but most of the families on our street, and it was a, a, a street full of private houses. Mm -hmm. um, and so our neighbors owned their own homes and we all went to one or another of several churches in the community. and. We went to school together and we played outside together. So we didn't miss anything, mm -hmm. really. But as you grew up and you, you began to have those experiences, you began to question. And I think, I know, I was uh, 12 or 13 years old and uh, my parents decided to drive us down to Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what, but it was, you know, probably a vacation. And um, so on the way back, my stepfather said, uh, you know, we need to get to a bathroom. And so we're riding along and I said, there's one, hmm. there's one, there's one. And I couldn't understand why he wasn't, wasn't stopping. stopping. Yeah. And then finally I saw for the first time, and like I said, I was about 13 years old, um, you know, that I'm, you know, that we couldn't drink water there, the mm -hmm. sign, no niggers, you know, that. Mm -hmm. And I was astounded, I was like, What's up with that? Up that, with wasn't that? The, that wasn't the vernacular <laughs> then, but you know, that's how, you know, it didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then I started to read, uh, I think it was Catholic, mm. uh, about uh, apartheid in South Africa. Mm. And it's like, oh, 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 no. And that triggered my personal response, uh, personal search mm. to understand what this separation and segregation was it and so that was the beginning of that part of my journey but mm. growing growing up you know we went to piano lessons and you know we went to the the church teas and the concerts and uh, to ballet school and all that so we didn't you know get it full force until well, later at least i did now oh, you you say you're saying that you're you were pulled from public school just I just wanted to get clarity on that and then sent to catholic school is that what happened yes my mother my parents were very education focused. Okay. So at some point they must have realized we weren't getting what we needed mm -hmm. and then decided we would get more academically um, from uh, by attending the uh, the Catholic school, Roman Catholic school, I make that distinction. But uh, yeah, so that's what we did. And there, you know, there was, it was, almost all of our teachers were white teachers and some of them were very harsh. Mm -hmm. and they were hard on the boys and they would pull them around by their ears and they would say harsh things to them mm -hmm. and you the way that it happened you you might think that the boys deserved it because they hadn't studied or that but as i grew i understand there was another tinge to it mm -hmm. and i didn't like it and so eventually i i felt it not around race mm -hmm. at that point although that was was part of it but by the time I was in the seventh grade, because we were not Roman Catholics, we were Episcopalians, mm -hmm. then the teachers would allow, the nuns would allow the students to say, Juanita, how come you're so smart in school and so stupid you don't know that you're in the wrong religion? 
And so I got a lot of that blowback, both from the students and the nuns. And I came home to my mother and I was like, what, what? And so she pulled us out and I attended a, an Episcopal school in Manhattan. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, growing up in, in, in New York at the time, um, was it was it a very uh, diverse as it is now? Did you see a, a lot of different people and did that make you, uh, did that kind of reinforce or make you feel proud of being black or have you always been proud of being black? No, no, you weren't proud necessarily. I wasn't necessarily proud of being black. Um, you knew that whites had more privileges in some way mm. than you had, but uh, the com community community was um, a mi mixed community in the sense that it was a diverse black community. Mm. You had your doctors and lawyers and professional people, and they lived in a certain part of the neighborhood, and and uh, and then you had you know you just had working folk and. Um, there was strata. There was a. There was a. There was a caste system. Mm. But you. You. You know. There were sororities and and fraternities. And so, uh, <clears throat> it was uh, separated too by color. We had what we called um, paper bag tests. Mm. Uh, so a brown paper bag. Mm -hmm. There were some sororities, social organizations, social organizations that if you were a certain complexion, lighter than a brown paper bag at that, then you were not allowed to come into those organizations. Mm. But mother, and so I had, had relatives who were, you know, this, they, they uh, reflected all colors, all complexions. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so my aunt, seeing that I was a really good student, joined one of those social clubs. And my mother said, no, and I was so, well, why not? I thought I was being so mean, not knowing she was protective because I was not going to pass the brown paper bag test. My mother could, but I could not. Uh, and so I felt it, but I didn't understand it until much later. Mm, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, it, it sounds like that would make you kind of run in the opposite direction of uh, uh, I, I mean, uh, in the opposite direction of people with darker complexion. So it's interesting that you, um, you in 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 sort of a, uh, a radical opposite sense, uh, have been drawn to. I mean, a lot of your work and everything that you've done, even sending your kids to uh, school in in Ghana, have been drawn to people in Africa. So at what point in your life did things in Africa become interesting to you? Like, what, what, what triggered Well, as I said, reading that, that book, uh, Kappa Boy, um, began to open up my mind about that. Um, my father was, um, what, was West Indian, Caribbean man, from the Bahamas anyway. And uh, my father was, as a uh, one of our ancestors, uh, Ed Robinson, used to say, richly pigmented. Mm. And so, and I loved him to pieces. And so, I didn't know how to run away from that. Mm. I didn't, it didn't even occur to me to run away from that. I did know and did understand over time that those who were lighter than I was um, had more privileges in some situations than I did. But I learned something else. And I'm not sure I'm answering your question fully, but I learned something else. And that was being a good student mm -hmm. brought positive attention to me. I see. 
And so I focused on being the best. And my parents taught me, they said, you know, uh, the white students uh, can do well, but you have to be two to three times uh, better at what, you, at what you're doing than they do. And so that was all my, always my objective. I, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get <laughs> not, to, not, to, not to interrupt, but did, did you find that that is a, um, I've heard kind of different things about that, that statement or that saying, was that helpful? Um, or was that, was that something that, uh, in a way, put a lot of pressure on you, um, or was, I mean, did you find that to be to be true at all? Oh, it's true. <laughs> there was no 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 question in my mind that it was true, uh, and some people um, reacted um, begrudgingly. You know, they, they 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 knew they would. It was a friend of mine. He passed away two years ago. Uh, I hadn't seen him since I was in the eighth grade. And he was a light brown-skinned fellow, but he was a very, very kind boy when I knew him. And he said, Juanita, you don't know what you did for me. He said, you made me fight because you were the best in your class and I was trying to get better than you. And so he ended up doing really, really well. Um, but he had it in him, not anything that anybody really did for him. But I was uh, kind of a, a, a probe, <laughs> I learned. You know, uh, and so, that, you know, when you came home with a report card, if I came home with a B, my mother and father would say, where's the A? <laughs> if you came home with an A, where's the A plus? And so that was, that was a, that was a yeah. so to, in response to your question, um, uh, more accurately, it, it, you, you, it, it was a plus in your life because you were striving for something, but there was also stress and strain as you, yeah. as you work to achieve that and you thought that was your normal temperament and in some way it was but it served me well when i got ready to retire uh some years ago and i was in a position that probably they didn't want me to have but it worked out that way um mm -hmm. and so one of the attorneys uh said to me Juanita, when so and so left i thought nobody could do the job that she did mm -hmm. and he said but you surprised us. You did it better than she did. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting to me since they had tormented me in between. <laughs> but at that point, I, at that point, and I was a mature woman at that point, the stress of it was what made me retire early mm -hmm. um, because you're always under a microscope and your three times as good was never good enough no. while you were doing no. it. So uh, I guess that's my complete answer to your question, a very long one, but a complete answer to your question. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that um, I hear a lot. Um, and I mean, it has also been my experience, even as a, as a, as a, um, a Ghanaian born, uh, living in this country and going to school in this country, uh, and in occupying spaces where I was, in most cases, a minority. Um, and in those environments, being told that I have to uh, put in twice as much work um, to to in order to succeed or in order to be seen as a as a co-equal to uh, some of my Caucasian uh -huh. colleagues. Uh -huh. um, so um, that opens up the, the door to this question that everybody is dying to hear. Um, from the source. Uh, so wh why did you decide it was important to send two of your children to school in Ghana? Well, <clears throat> you asked me a trigger question before about when I came to my thoughts about 
Africa. Yeah, Africa, yeah. And I was reading uh, Julius Lester, and I was reading, you know, The Spook Who Sat by the Door, and I was, re I was reading, the, beginning my, my uh, personal research, so to speak, uh, into uh, Pan-Africanism. I didn't know what it was at the time, but then I began to understand it. Mm -hmm. And then I began to embrace it. And then some of my childhood friends were also looking into it. And then I wanted to know more about myself so, uh, and my heritage. And so, you know, my mother um, had straight hair. So my, my grandfather had straight hair. And my father had, well, he had a program and his hair was, he would keep it so well groomed that it lay very flat on his head. But, uh, but I had kinky hair, have kinky hair. And uh, it wasn't well regarded when I was growing up, but I had it. And so it was always being groomed one way or another, aggressively or, you know, whatever it was, they were going to try to tame it. And so finally I decided it was, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to do that. By that time, I was a young married woman with the children and uh, Odette, Odetta and um, Max Roach's wife, uh, they wore their hair naturally. Mm -hmm. oh. And my mother-in-law had straight hair and her mother had straight hair. And I show up with, with my, my kinky hair, close cut, kind of as if I was in boarding school in Accra. <laughs> before I knew about either, uh, and I had gone to boarding school, by the way, so that's part of the, the why I, it didn't uh, upset me to send my children to boarding school. So I had a good time in boarding school for the most part. But anyway, I had uh, kinky hair, and everybody in the family was offended. Mm. Well, it just gave me great joy. <laughs> so, and then um, my, my dear girlfriend, uh, showed me how to tie, uh, my, I, I'm hesitating because I know now it wasn't traditional African wear, it was whatever they could mimic, and I mimicked it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, uh, I'm a free spirit, so to speak. And so by that time I was working for the city of New York, mm -hmm. and I would just put on my African attire, such as it was, and go, go to work. Mm -hmm. And somebody called me in, from human resources and told me I couldn't wear it. I said, well, you, when you tell those women to stop wearing all those cutouts on the side and dresses, you know, that were just a little bit below their, uh, they were mini, mini skirts in those days, just a little bit lower than their underwear, then I'll change, but until that I'm wearing it. And mm -hmm. I didn't know really about uh, any government regulations or laws that would protect me, no employment law, no. So. But they knew, and they, they couldn't do anything about it, and I, that was my pattern for many, many years. And uh, then I connected with somebody who was from Liberia, who was a tailor, and he and his wife, and they, they made all of my clothes. So when I first came to Philadelphia, that's how I was known. I went in and applied for jobs and, and told me I needed to go someplace else. 
<laughs> so, and so, so I you, did. Were, you basically were wearing, you were wearing clothing that they would, it was, was, uh, was not, they sort of what they would, what would they would turn not professional. Uh, well, it, right? it was professional to me, um, but yes, but it yes, wasn't yes. typical for sure. It was, uh, it was, uh, I had it custom made. I had them embroidered my lapis and I had them made of wool for the winter. Mm -hmm. And I would have my wow. locker and a jumper, you know, to match and put a blouse underneath it and go to work. Game changer. And were, 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 were other people doing the same or not? Uh, sure. Eventually, other, I met other people who were doing that, but they were in the uh, Pan-African community. Uh, I didn't know them at first. I didn't know anything about any movement or anything like that. I mean, I knew I knew from the outside, but I didn't know from the inside. Um, it's just what I wanted to do, and so I walked into a place called the Fellowship Commission here in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. and uh, the executive director, Maury Fagan, said, I, "I want to hire you." Well, of course, I knew later that he wanted to hire me, not be just because I knew how to do what I had to do um, or could be trained to do it, but because I gave an aura of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, inclusion of the black community to those who came to mm -hmm. the fellowship community, uh, the fellowship uh, commission, watch, which was um, an outgrowth of uh, some of the disturbance and the cry for equality uh, in the city. Mm -hmm. and, and so I was token, I was representative. Um, representative, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that at first, but it was okay with me when I did figure it out. So I can continue and say, you know, by saying, I then began to attend, you know, the festivals that I learned about and uh, events. And I, you know, I was pursuing my heritage. And so I really became a Pan-Africanist. I believe that mm. what was going on here was connected to what was going on in Africa. Going on the continent, mm -hmm. yeah. And I still do believe that um, when the boats are being carried up, all boats will, you know, will, be carried up in Africa and uh, the United States or wherever, wherever we are, if we're focused on um, uh, functioning as one, or functioning in mm -hmm. communion with one another. And so that has been at the bottom of what I've been doing for the bulk of my life. Mm -hmm. So that, 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 that sort of movement is what drove you to send uh, two of your children to to school in Ghana. Um, no, not really, not quite. <laughs> that sort of understanding, yes, not movement. Yeah. Uh, because I, I okay. did it as an independent family. We had relationships with lots of people, but they were they were mm -hmm. not doing that. Um, mm -hmm. but it was my understanding now, having gone to university, having worked um, in a variety of settings. Uh, having listened to people when they thought you weren't listening or didn't care whether or not you were listening, understanding that you were diminished because mm -hmm. of the color of your skin. They had nothing, they would acknowledge that you were very bright or they would mm -hmm. express, you know, how very articulate you were, but <clears throat> you just, in order for you to be considered really good at what you did, good at what you knew, uh, skillful, uh, knowledgeable, 
a white person had to validate who mm -hmm. you were. Yeah. And I was like, not really. Mm -hmm. And so what was at the bottom, and I should say my late husband had uh, was of the same mindset. Mm -hmm. The children's father, we were, we were resolute. He didn't even want me to give birth to those children in the United States. Mm. He was from Trinidad. He was born mm. in, he was born in Aruba. And then at a young age, mm. he was brought back to his family's home in Trinidad. And he was more part of the African cultural family than I was at the time. Okay. And so we decided at some point we were going to move to Africa and our children were going to be trained there um, mm -hmm. and and that they would understand their roots and they would be mm -hmm. able to validate themselves or be in the context of their Africanness. They would not have to have mm -hmm. somebody tell them who was not part of their experience that they were good or they were not good because sometimes mm -hmm. when you are good people who are not of the same experience will tell you you're not good because there's something they don't want you to have or be a part of or they're you, they, they're, mm -hmm. they're they're holding a place for somebody who's part of their experience and culture i didn't yeah. want that yeah. we didn't want that yeah. and uh so that was more my uh concern than yeah okay. And I knew, because I had many African friends by, by that time, many from Kenya, from Nigeria, from Ghana, from Sierra Leone, from Liberia, from so many places, from the Gambia, from Senegal. I had many friends by that time. Mm -hmm. And so um, I knew that there was more. I knew, I, I knew that they were bright. I knew that they were well-educated. Um, mm -hmm. I, I knew that they were comfortable with who they were for the most part. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted for my children, to be able to be comfortable in their own skin. I see. Mm -hmm. Now, considering what, I mean, this, is, this was a question I asked at um, in the in the, in the the last episode of the podcast, mm -hmm. and, uh, the last interview, and um, it, was, it was something more, um, something that I, it just kind of came to mind as I was looking at the last few years and how young uh, black boys have been the target of brutality and, you know, just uh, tragic deaths. Um, and did it cross your mind at all that, that, that was that part of the reasoning behind sending them in terms of, you know, making sure that your, your son's yep. safety was guaranteed as he went through life, or well, that wasn't something that you really... No, because uh, I, I kept them sheltered as well, as to the degree that I could. And, uh, and they knew uh, where they could be and could not be. I'm not sure that I was always successful, but I was largely successful in setting expectations for how they should live. I do remember, though, mm -hmm. that I was in South Africa on a mission trip, and I received a phone call from my husband who told me that my daughter, and we lived in New Jersey at that point, was coming from school, and she was about 12 or early 13, and she was coming from school, and one of the girls, one of her schoolmates, um, threatened her with a knife. And mm -hmm. I was in South Africa. Now, what, what, what could I do? I, 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 I knew I was going to come home soon, but what could I do in the moment? 
and I contacted one of my neighbors, but she told me that some of the neighbors had intervened and everything was all right. That terrified me. Um, and we were living in the suburbs. So I was, I was concerned about their well-being at another level, uh, not the mm -hmm. fear of, you know, the police and all of that, although, you know, I spoke to them about those things, but um, that our community values had so eroded um, that by working in New York, which I did, and commuting from South Jersey, mm -hmm. so I had a commute of four hours a day on a good day, and I worked more than eight hours a day. In fact, I worked so many hours at times during special seasons um, that, the, that the firm would send me home from New York in a black car. The car would wait for me while I took a shower and changed my clothes, and I was gone back to New York. And I was very concerned for oversight at that point, in general. Yeah. And having gone to boarding school, I thought, it might be better for them to have that oversight to protect their uh, well-being. Uh, and the, the, I was getting ready to say their social development, um, if, if I did that. Now, I, what I didn't say to you was part of the time that I was commuting, a good part of the time, I commuted by bus. And so, you know, when you commute by bus that distance, um, you see the same people all the time. And so I developed friendships with uh, a Ghanaian man whose name I cannot remember and haven't seen in years. Um, and there was a, 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 a Ghanaian woman who uh, I opened my home to her so she, she could live there for a while. And, mm -hmm. and then uh, I think there was one other person. Anyway, they talked about Achimota. They talked okay. about it and told me it was a premier school. And they talked about it enough over, not months, years, as we commuted, that I thought, I'm going to look into this. Mm -hmm. And so when I began to be serious about looking into it, I went to Ghana and met the headmistress, who, who mm -hmm. happened to be related to one of your peers <laughs> and one of my other sons, Kwamina, although I did not know that at the time. And, uh, and I told her I wanted to put them in her care. And she told me she, that I could, we could. And my husband um, had very close friends he called brothers. And I spent time with them. We spent time with them while, while, while uh, there. And they agreed to have the children live there. And when school was in session, they'd be on campus and otherwise they'd be in their homes. And I trusted them. And so yeah. that's, that's how that happened. I'm not sure my trust was um, quite as it should have been because mm -hmm. my son had a better relationship than my daughter. They lived in two separate mm -hmm. houses. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I was sad about that. But since the mm -hmm. ball had moved in that direction, I just decided to, to let it let, let it happen. Of course, I was threatened by my family and friends. <laughs> they told me if anything happens to these children. And, uh, and so I just, I had prayed and I had believed, I believed that this was a good thing for me to do. Um, um, it sounds like there was a sort of a, a series of, 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 of thoughtful 
as um, use of thoughts um, and as well as experiences that all culminated into making that thoughtful, important decision. So I appreciate you shedding light on that. Um, now, just kind of coming back to the, the, the conversation of, of race in this country, uh, has much changed since you were a child or are we basically discussing the same issues, just different times? That's also a complex question. Um, mm-hmm. Some things have not changed. Perhaps they went underground and now we're seeing them resurface with power. Um, and some things have changed. Um, some things have changed in terms of employment, in terms of professional mm-hmm. development, in terms of uh, professional opportunity, um, social interaction. Lots of things have changed in that, in that, uh, in those arenas. But so much of it has stayed the same. So it feels like you know uh, Groundhog Day. Uh, going mm-hmm. back to the vitriol of the the 60s and the civil rights movement and you know mm-hmm. just so much ugly and it is disheartening it's disheartening when you think you might have have overcome that you know we sang that all mm-hmm. the time we shall overcome and until yeah. in some ways we believe the hype and when I say that lots of good things did happen have happened and will continue to happen, but I think you, I think you let your guard down as a community when people felt that they had arrived, you know, having had so much more opportunity than earlier for some, some, for some people, um, that they disassociated themselves from the movement that had drawn them together and helped, uh, drawn us together and helped us, uh, achieve some of the things we have achieved. Um, Mm. That hard press towards education that my family was about, my family Mm. wasn't the only one that was like that. I lived in a community of families where you better not come home with foolishness when it was was school business. And then Mm. allowing the children to be so involved in the media and uh, and I'm not I'm not saying that media is bad. I'm just saying the over involvement to the exclusion of you know reading good books and taking in good useful information and building skills. All the skills that were in a community were not developed in a, in a classroom. So again, it's relational. I, I a friend sent a picture to me yesterday of an heirloom that she has which is a canopy bed made by a great-great-grandfather. It is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And we know he didn't go to any college for it. He didn't even go to a technical school for it. He learned it within mm-hmm. community, one person to another. We don't have much of that going on anymore. Anymore, yeah. Um, <laughs> so in, in, you're saying that in some sense, uh, uh, some of it is the same and... Um, and you feel like some, 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 some has Yes, there, there are things, I mean, uh, lots of things have changed. There are people owning homes who couldn't own a home before. There are people having, you know, automobiles who would never have had an automobile back in the day. There are lots of material uh, and social and academic. I, I watched uh, 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 <clears throat> Uh, President-elect Biden and his uh, his scientific his scientists yesterday and his appointments um, to, and and 
there were two black women, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and when the, he read their the credentials, it was like, whoa, you know? So uh, does that make you think that perhaps the, all these people were there, but they were just getting overlooked and were not, you know, being put in the positions that would reflect? Well, we know that. Yeah. We know we 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 know yeah. that we so, know that because of the historically black colleges and universities, we know that they educated students, and the same thing that I was looking for and sent my children to Ghana to acquire that was already that was already in community in the South in particular. But I didn't have a Southern yeah, her so, heritage. So some of it. So the reason I asked the question of. Of, of, of are we basically discussing the same issues just different times is that even even though those changes may be may be happening we, we don't see them represented that's in true. front of us uh, and 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 I think that's that's uh, that's a worthy point to to, to to reflect on because you can things could be happening in circles in in commune in small in in, in, sm in in a small way but it could be boiling underneath where nobody sees it and so because nobody sees it it feels like nothing has um, yeah um, but there <clears throat> that's true benjamin um but there were other things that we had then that we don't have now so much you know when i was growing up and i learned this recently when i went to the bahamas for the first time and my cousin who i had met newly said to me everybody in the Bahamas is a Christian. It's just a given. Nobody, nobody, nobody um, thinks about that. That's just what it is. So every birth certificate is going to say that the child is a Christian. Doesn't matter. Doesn't know. It doesn't mean that they're going to practice. And that's another story and another mm -hmm. and a topic for another time. Um, but but um, but everybody went to church. So I, I wanted to pull on that because. In, in our time, everybody went, or nearly everybody went to church. That was before Islam Islam was um, noted in the black community. It wasn't that it wasn't there, because I remember the tenant that our parents had in the house, and, and she was Muslim, and she wore, you know, things that we didn't wear and didn't quite understand, I didn't I quite understand her. But, and, and you know, I was a little girl, I was about 10 years old. But um, when you went to church and they had I had to memorize, I had to memorize different poems I, and, and then I'd have to speak in front of the church uh, or we would have teas and uh, I played the piano, somebody else sang, somebody else did something else, played the violin or something like that. And then when they had these church teas, the children were presented. And so the community knew and nurtured those children. Mm -hmm. Well, but people don't do that in church so much anymore. And so mm -hmm. the, the the fertile ground, so to speak, is not being tilled in the same way. Yeah, I mean, but I mean that that goes to the same point of the fertile ground could still be could be tilled, but if it's if it's not represented to the masses, then it might not they might we might not know that the that talent those talents exist um, amongst um, the community of, of of black people or. Um, people in that community. I don't want to try to belabor this because there's a few things that I want to ask. Well, please, want to please, please belabor it with me another time because I think it's structural. I think it's structural. If you don't want a community to, um, to blossom in front of you, if you don't want 
um, to give value to that community, then why would you acknowledge? And so it's incumbent on incumbent upon the black community to do that. That's not for any other community to. It's for um, us to do. I I I agree, and, and I guess the um, and since uh, we, we uh, to stay right there on topic, do you think that? Perhaps the reason that the those foundations are still not continuing to be. Do you think that the they are not continuing to tell that the the, the land, so to speak, and and using those uh, foundation uh, foundational uh, techniques and you know uh, of of community reward and the, the foundations that you're, you're talking about in community. Um, are you feel is it possible that 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 is not happening? anymore because people don't see the value in it is that is like okay we continue to do it but it's not being recognized it's not we're, we're, we're still not you know we can do we continue to do it in our small circles i don't think it's just consciousness that uh, benjamin i think that we are our, our focus has been shifted you know um so our little ones when they start shaking their fannies and doing a few dance steps we go look at it look at it you go you go you go there's nothing wrong with that but we don't do the same thing for can you spell this can you spell that look how it's do we don't we don't do it I see. because our attention has been diverted mm -hmm. it's that it's not that we didn't know mm -hmm. it's that we have stepped away from what we knew and 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 so uh, we have adopted a culture a more fulsomely that doesn't belong to us than the one that belongs to us. I don't know if that makes sense, but mm -hmm. yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, that in in a way, um, there is a there is a um, a shift in the in the value or the shift in the in the in in what needs to be focused on. Yes. Um, is, am I saying that correctly? Yeah. There's a, there's, there's a shift, and so. Uh, what used to be valuable yes. has been pushed to the side. Um, but I mean, the reason that I, I was pushing back a little bit is that I always want to kind of wonder why that is, you know. Um, um, and I don't know if you can shed some light um, because I think that's probably going to be the only thing I can have time to. <laughs> to talk about. Can you shed some light on why that shift in the focus? I don't know that I have the answer to that. I have a lot of different thoughts about that. But I don't have the answer to that. I think, again, if somebody else validates you when you have a big car and you have a fantabulous house, then you work for that, or you, your objective is to get that at all costs. Mm -hmm. And so if you have to sell drugs to get it, and you get it, and you get yeah. the same validation as, it, as if you had gotten it uh, mm -hmm. another way, well, then, you know, you... I do remember saying to my second daughter, who was uh, going to met, did not complete medical school, but she's in the entertainment culture, and she still is, and she's doing well with it, but um, she was doing something, um, oh, uh, making video, you know, tapes when, when, when the dance videos and all of that came, she was a background dancer and that kind of thing, and I, I said, what, 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 what are you doing? And she said, and she said, well, mom, I need money. I said, go sell drugs. And when, <laughs> she, she looked at me with a mouth. I was telling her that she was shortchanging herself. And if all she wanted was money, then she didn't have to go through all that, you know? And she knew that it was, yeah. a, a, it was not yeah, a good thing. So 
you know, that was the end of that, but uh, in that way anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do want, I, I did want to uh, kind of ask a few questions about um, your journey with faith and things like that, but uh, I, I don't have um, I don't have any more time, so I'll definitely have to invite you back so I can explore those things a little bit more. Yay! Uh, <laughs> uh, but I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on and uh, spending some time on this podcast ans- answering my questions and having, having these uh, conversations. Uh, once again, um, you know, I would I definitely would love to kind of explore some of these other other, other topics. I mean, even with the last with the last point, um, you you raised some very great um, thoughts on you know why wh- where we are placing uh, value. Uh, I would also want to kind of bring you back to talk a little bit more about your understanding of Pan Africanism and and what what that looks like and what uh, what it looks like today and what it could be reimagined to be because um, that's been something that has been um, uh, a topic of conversation in certain places or spaces that I've been in the last uh, the last few days. So before I, 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 I close out, is there anything that you want people who listen or who are listening to to know? Um, uh, I know you have a, 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 is it a radio show? Yes, it's about to be a, um, visual as well. But right now I have two radio programs. Uh, that go out four times a week, and one of the programs goes into 150 countries, and those are our face chats. And I'd love to explore that more with you at another time. Um, but I would also like to say I'm very proud of my son, all of my children actually. But uh, but since you interviewed Atun Rathen, um, <laughs> I, I'm very proud of him, and I see the fruit not just of um, not not just of being a great human being, but his faith walk was really solidified in Accra so that if nothing else happened, that happened for mm-hmm. both him and he and his, it, it happened for him and for his sister. And I'm ever grateful. Mm-hmm. I'm ever grateful. So uh, I, it was worth the journey. They were young and I couldn't describe all the things to them that I should have or would have had they been older. And I can understand how they felt that I shipped <laughs> them off and just got rid of them. And just, um, but but that also is because they had other people in their ears who were suggesting that was what, what was going mm-hmm. on. And now they can see the fruit mm-hmm. in their own children, their own marriages mm-hmm. of their experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm again so very grateful. Now, um, where, where 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 is where do the, the the programs go out on? Is it like a specific radio station? Is it online? How can people access that? Um, Heart, um, Heart Ministry Radio. Heart Ministry Radio is one. Yeah, and the other one is Impact Communications Network. Okay. Um, and uh, I'll send you the apps, and then you, okay. you know, better be able to share okay. that. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you so much for coming on once again, uh, uh, listeners. This has been another episode of uh, the Walking Your Talk podcast. Um, I had the privilege of interviewing Bishop Juanita Jolly Billford, and uh, thank you all for listening. Oh,